The following big interview was posted in full for our socios, our members, our friends, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And that was last season, 2019-20. Sign up there and you'll get every interview we produce before it's released on the main feed, plus the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You'll also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. And what's more, you'll be supporting us. You'll be keeping this independent podcast on the road. Thank you. League Cup final, Blackburn managed by Graham Souness, favourite of mine. Spurs managed by, <clears throat> okay, we share initials. If you've listened to this series, Glenn Hoddle. I was so supporting Blackburn, and thank you, thank you, thank you. To the coming player of that moment, Matt Janssen, scorer, maker of the winner, made my day. Did it again today, where we sat down at Mottram Hall to talk about the Beatles being pecked by puffins. Being kid- Did you know that Matt Janssen had been kidnapped? Yes, it was a strange interview, very funny, and then dark. Because the reason that Matt Janssen isn't to the forefront of your football memory from the early to mid-2000s is that he had a dreadful accident, which wasn't his fault, in Rome, doing uh, Gregory Peck, Audrey Hepburn, skittishly scooting around the eternal city on a moped until, well, very near tragedy stuck. It ruined the remainder of his career, and it left him with demons that he had to fight with all his and a very special sports psychologist's efforts in order to resurrect himself. He's an interesting man. He's going to be a good coach. He's been a great guest on the big interview. He was a terrific footballer. But what a life. What a tough life. Matt Janssen. Enjoy. But then the next stage of your recuperation, rehabilitation or struggles, I don't know what best to term it, was understanding your own psychology, your own mind, because relatively quickly, quicker than anybody thought possible, you were physically fit, you were playing again, scoring again, sometimes scoring brilliantly, but the book makes clear that everything was absolutely wrong in your psychology, you were... You were not only um, struggling, you were in real pain. And until Steve Peters, which comes a little bit later, you weren't getting either the ear or the shoulder or the advice or the definition of what was going on that you needed. No, I, 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 kept, I kept saying, uh, I'm not right, I'm not right, I've missed something. I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel the same, I'm not the same player, I'm, I can't. It's just not natural, I'm... I'm brain damaged I'm this that and I kept questioning because I wasn't the same player I, like my, invent, my bubble had burst so I, I couldn't understand why people said oh yeah you'll be fine just get a few games you'll, 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 be, you'll get through it and you, but I, I, I was now going on the pitch fearful uh, and where I, where I wanted the ball give me the ball give me the ball I want to show you what I can do give me the ball I was oh, don't give me the ball don't give me the ball or when you do give me the ball I'm thinking right control it and and it was just and I couldn't cope with that 
it was just and then playing in front of so many fans and that sound oh, it was awful and, and it was resulted in me getting worse and worse and then I was on anti, antidepressants and drinking really heavily and trying to get away from it just because I couldn't cope with what I had been and now what I thought I was. The fear was what of, of messing up or not being what you were? Or? Yeah, just, well, a bit of everything, making mistakes. Probably the most famous dream in the world is being, you know, in a public place and you find yourself exposed, no clothes, or, God, I haven't done my preparation for this test that's coming up now. And I think that's one of the most common dreams. That So we, we all fear being put in a situation where we're we fail, we're exposed, we, we've, we're not properly prepared and you were living that. Yeah, li- living it without an answer to how, yeah. to, to how to cure it. I'm wrong, there's something wrong. They need to do more tests on the head, they need to... I'm, I'm not right. Because as soon as, you, as soon as you can put a name on something, it, 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 it's like your human psychology starts to go, right, okay, I can attack this, I can, you know, I can, I can try to treat it or I can accept there's something wrong with me so it's okay to be like this we, we need to be told something yeah. even if it's not true I was put on this tablet that was supposed to suppress my anxiety going mm-hmm. onto the pitch which will, so I'd, I'd, and me being me um, take, just take one before you, you go on the pitch well I'd take four <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that anxious and that fearful of making mistakes I'll take four and I'll, I'd go on the pitch and I'd sometimes be in a daze I don't know but it didn't work, it, you know, that, that didn't work and I just didn't have an answer to it and it was just terrifying me, it was depressing me it was, and it was just, it was getting worse and worse and worse um, until eventually he says, well, what about seeing a psychologist, a psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, and you think... That Even then you were, yeah, you were a little bit resistant? I think we had one in the early days at Carlisle United and people were like... You're mental. What do you go on after? You know, and there was a bit of a stigma to it that you. you let's weak. let's let's enunciate football for the longest time, and I'm not wholly convinced that it's totally changed today. Although I think you can be a testimony that there have been improvements, but it was it was don't admit any weakness. Otherwise, people will. It's it's a sharp pull football. Yeah. And if oh, you yeah. admit anything, people are on that drop of blood, and it is an admission of inverted commas. It has always been looked upon as, as a weakness. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I felt. And I think, just pull your socks up, come on. Yeah, you, you, you're all right. And I thought, oh, shall I go on? But because I, I, I was at so low, I thought, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to try whatever I can try. I still think I'm brain damaged. I think there's, a psychologist won't, a psychiatrist, psychologist, they won't know what's, what's happening inside my head. I, I know. Uh, my 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 thoughts were there's still something wrong. So then I was introduced to to Doctor Professor Steve Peters, and I loved spending time with him. And he used the chimp analogy. Steve Peters is very famous. We can talk more about him because you were one of his earliest sporting patients, and he's gone on to prove his ability, and he's gone on to help a lot of people. But when you talk about that chimp principle, he, he, you know, there's a very famous book about it, but not everybody will have experienced it. Now, if, I stress if, I understand what he's trying to argue is that, again, I, I recognise that everybody's got a voice or a presence inside their head which will tell them you're wrong or you've failed or it's an anarchic voice and it seems to be a voice that seizes upon 
your weakest moments that kind of, if there's a wound, it'll rub salt in it. Is, is that, that's not very comprehensive, but is that beginning to explain what he told you when he mentioned yeah, his I mean, chimp inside you? Yeah, we've all got a chimp, say we've all got a chimp inside us, and when you're in your good times, you can control your chimp. When you're in your negative times, your chimp controls you. But my chimp was controlling me, and some. You know, I, the, my chimp was too big to be... You know, I, I couldn't get <laughs> the better of my chimp. Kong. But my, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'd, I'd go for a, a meet. He was at Sheffield at the time. I'd drive over to Sheffield, have a meeting with him. He'd, he'd I'd always say, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that. And he'd, he'd have an answer to everything and, and, and t- talk about my chimp and, and how to control this and how to control that. And I'd go back really positive and training... It would be under control, again, yeah, to a degree. Under control to a degree, yeah. And I thought, oh, actually, yeah, he, he's answered all my questions and my, or all my doubts and negativity. Yeah, he's, he's, he's given me rational answers too. Built me back, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to training on a Monday again. So Monday comes, Tuesday comes, Wednesday, and then Thursday. Slowly but surely, I'm deflated again. So he, and then the following week, I've got to see Steve. And he <laughs> inflates me. I get all right. Those questions he's answered rationally. That I doubt. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm feeling okay again. Or I feel okay, not necessarily invincible again. I just feel that I can it's, manage. It's noticeably helping. Yes. By the end of the week again, I've got to see him because it's. Uh, it, he's always said, he's always said himself if he'd have been there constantly with me, mm-hmm. or at the side of the pitch, or just before I'm going onto the pitch, yeah. it may have helped a lot more um, like he was with the cyclists um, so that's that's what he talked about he went on to be a, a, a fundamental part of the British Olympic mentality which has led to so many medals but most so particularly success. in cycling right yes uh, so much success And but he was he used to I met, I met uh, Victoria Pendleton mm-hmm. who used to have similar uh, doubts to me and her gym sometimes got the better of her and he would say Sometimes she wouldn't get on the bike. And it's irrespective of her being an outstanding oh. athlete, both in terms of, I think, did she begin as a runner and become a cyclist? She, she, yeah, well, she, now she's doing horses now, isn't she? She's riding Sorry. horses as well. She was an Olympic gold, gold medalist, yeah. And then she's gone to the question. And she struggled with... She struggled with confidence or whatever. It might be or similar traits to, the, to, to myself. Yeah. But Steve Peters was there 24-7 yeah. with the cycling team. I was seeing him once a week or once every other week to, to lift me up a little bit. Yeah. And when I said I can't get on the football pitch, Steve Peters wasn't there to, to get me onto the football pitch. And it, it helped me manage it, and I still to this day think he's a great guy. And it's, it, it's, it made me realise the importance of how strong the mental side of life, not let alone football, but in any walk of life, how strong your mind is. You know this inside out. As much as it was a confusing phenomenon to come upon in your own mind and in your own life, you know this inside out. I, I, I've heard about these issues before. I've read your book. But for the listener, you know, brilliant footballer, bad luck, bad injury, physical recuperation, mentally filled with, you would say, demons. One big chimp telling you don't accept the praise, you weren't that good, that mistake was awful, <laughs> blowing things out of proportion yep. in your own psychology. The other strand that we, we have to talk about then, when Steve wasn't there, how was the football world 
coping with or attempting to cope with the problems that you... Because to the football world, you were an asset. Probably more than you were a person, I suspect. You scored goals. You brought fans to the ground. And potentially you could earn a transfer for whichever clip. You were still at Blackburn at this stage. So I'm interested. While these things are going on, and when you used the phrase, you were fearful of going out onto the pitch, and you didn't have Steve Peters with you there all the time. It was a weekly thing, which I think Blackburn were paying for. But broadly, where, where would you say the football world did adequately help you, and where didn't it adequately help you as you're struggling with these issues? I think it's... It was a unique situation and I think um, because you can't see a head, a head injury or you can't see what's in, happened inside and if it was my broken if I broke my leg I've got a plaster on a recoup and I get my leg gets stronger and you can do different exercise to prove that you're, you're okay now what happened with me is I was an asset to the team that did I come back too too soon I may have come back too soon my father-in-law likens it to a, a snow globe and you shake a snow globe, mm. that's what happened inside my head. And all the fizzy bits mm. don't settle till mm. for, for a while. I still had all those fizzy bits still, and I, but I was out playing football before I was ready. And I'd make a mistake, and then I'd make another mistake, and then I'd not want the ball. If I'd have let my snow dome settle, or if I'd let my everything settle, and I was ready, and, and telling them, I want to play, I want to play now rather than, look, they were paying me handsomely. And, yeah. um, so they want to get me back on the pitch as soon as possible. And they may have thought at that stage, I speculate this, that it's healthy for you to, because they think, well, if he's fit, the most wonderful he's going to feel is back running around and doing the thing, because they don't know about yeah. the shit that's going on in here. That's right. They may have actually thought, that, not just selfishly, go on, Matt, look, you can fly again. I think, in all honesty... They all best intentions for me, um, and they, and to be fair, they were. It was a well-run club. It, it was uh, CNS was good with me. The doc, um, Phil Batty, was great with me, and they helped me out. But it was a new. It was it was new. Um, it was a unique uh, head trauma. Uh, when, how do they know when I'm ready? How do they know? They may think. If we keep him back, he's going to lose his confidence because he's he's not playing. He's not playing. So there, it, it, again, it's it, hindsight. It, it, it's hypothetical. Who knows? If they'd have waited longer, I could have been okay, or I could have been worse, or I could have been better. I don't know. But uh, I know Steve Peters thinks that I was I went back too soon. Do you feel robbed? At the time, I felt. Uh, I mean, I was the, the um, loads of different emotions of. I feel I was obviously gutted that I'd got on a scooter. I was gutted that I couldn't get my game back. I was gutted that what had happened to me, and 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 I was in a horrible place. Now, looking back, I mean, it's eighteen years, seventeen, eighteen years. I'm, <laughs> obviously, in your dark time, you think and you, you're pissed off what what might have been, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and, and what what could have been. But you then you can also I'm, I've I've got a wife, got three healthy kids. Uh, you know, I've got a, a, a good life. I've got a good family around me, and. So when you weigh it up, I've, yes, I'm pissed off at times, but yes, I'm, I'm also in a good place at times. So I think that's not, you know, most people, most people are like that. You, you have your good days, you have your bad days, but I'm now out of the, the horrific stages when I was 
crying at night, not sleeping, drinking heavily, and depressed. I can't get this right. I've come out the other side of that now. What did you learn about yourself? It was a gradual frustration, and then I, I wanted to get away from football completely. I, this is going to cure me. i just got to get away from football. I know that I can't do it anymore. And then I get a phone call from an ex-colleague of mine, Gary Flickcroft. And I think that helped me have a little bit of a direction, or a little, I think that helped me maybe get over being so depressed. I mean, I, was, I wasn't depressed. When, once I'd left football, I thought it was going to cure me. But after six months of doing nothing and, and you're bored you get bored you do you think the grass is always greener but it but it wasn't and then I get a phone call out of the blue um, from Guy Flickcroft saying he, he was managing um, Lee Lee Genesis at the time I think it was and would I come and play and I said I'm not, I don't want to play but I'll, I'll, I'll come and be your assistant um, and he says yeah okay and would you play a couple of games in the, in the... So I said well I'll, 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 yeah I'll be a player player assistant manager so I did that started doing my coaching badges and, and, and got so there was something that I was focusing on rather than just drifting through through life and, and away away completely out of football and thinking that that was the answer and then he a few, few years later after a couple of promotions he, he stepped aside and to concentrate on his property property businesses and then I was thrust into to management at Chorley Chorley Football Club which I spent Three years and three successful years there. Promotion in one year. Uh, we got into playoff final uh, and and got got beat in extra time. I wish I hadn't read it. No, yeah, so. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, it was three successful years. A few uh, disagreements with the the board. Par for the as, course of management. As in football, as not as <laughs> typical in football, and ended up uh, resigning after after a summer of putting a, a really fantastic team together. I brought in two or three extra players that. Maybe gave us a, a chance the following season, but you, you but you you weren't able to see the fruit so of I your work. So I wasn't able to see the fruit, the fruits. But no, it was good good that they got promoted. There, you know, I enjoyed my time, um, but it gave me a focus on, on on something other than just drifting and other than just um, thinking that uh, I was just going to play golf for the rest I accept that. I just wonder if if this whole experience has taught you about your your resourcefulness, your strength. Um, it clearly taught you things about the people around you. I also wonder what you think if if this happened now. Are, yeah. we, are we better? Equipped? Well, I think. Well, two thousand and two, when when it happened to me, there yeah. is certainly a stigma about about psychology and psychology and men, mental health. And you know, I suffered really badly. But to say I was mentally ill, yeah. Nowadays, it was. Pro- I was probably mentally ill. I, I was struggling. I was not coping with life with what had, ha- what had happened to me nowadays it's accepted a lot mm-hmm. more nowadays I think it would be dealt completely dealt with completely different I wouldn't have felt ashamed I, fe- I think I felt a little bit ashamed of that I, ca- I can't get it no, everybody was helping me but I I couldn't be fixed from people I've listened to either who try to heal or who've been who've suffered you know if it's the monkey inside or however you want to term it you, you push back help yeah. you push away yeah. it, the actual process of trying to heal or help can, can make things worse and as whatever's in there yeah. is saying no that's, that's wrong yeah. you're wrong there yeah. but it's, it's true and the intentions of people were, were very honourable and very good and kind and, and <laughs> but like you say oh, they don't know they don't know what's going on in my head they don't know you know and then you've got your dad and you're on your own and you're on another drink oh, and you, you're, not, you're just absorbed with this horribleness, <laughs> for want of a better word. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We know um, one of the joys of this series that we've done, apart from, you know, really speaking to interesting men and women and successful men and women and sharing the sometimes getting a little glimpse into the world of football which we adore a lot of people have written into us and said that the podcast the, the style of conversations subject matter helped them through depression they put on this conversation in their head the demons in their head would be go away for an hour or so or if I get going too hard sometimes hello Peter <laughs> and, and therefore there will be people listening who either um, know somebody they want to talk to about these issues or there will be people listening who've gone through or are going through similar feelings, similar problems. You know, boiling down your experience, what, what would you, what, how would you not just advise them, but what should they be thinking about that they can learn from you? What would you tell people? I found that with, with there being other people who suffered that as well it, it kind of it sounds sick it helps me because other people are suffering but help that I'm not alone here I'm not the only one who's struggling the best thing you could do or maybe I, I do is not spend time just wallowing and try and keep yourself doing something or try and interact with, with, with people sometimes it's hard sometimes you just want to shut everybody away more often you do don't you yeah and have a drink and, and that's what I got to do. You know, I just want to have a beer because it makes me a little bit more relaxed. And, but that's not the answer, do you know what I mean? So everybody's, everybody's different, but we all have demons. I hope this isn't a clumsy segue, but the book shows a lot of what was fun in your life and your career as well. And I think it's important to reflect that too because why I asked you, did you feel robbed, was that you achieved a great deal. You achieve dreams, uh, and you tell the story well. And there are lots of little strange moments. Who's Maxie? 
Maxine or Maxine, yeah. Oh, well, Maxine was... Yeah, well, yeah but it all stems yeah. from... Yeah, well, my dad's Matt. Yeah. Um, well, his, his full name is Mature Gerardus Louis Janssen. He's, sorry? Mature Gerardus Louis Janssen, Dutch... Ancestors. They give green names, don't they? <laughs> like Louis Van Hal isn't Louis. He's he's Aloysius. Really? You know, and his name flows beautifully, like your dad's does. And Johann Cruyff wasn't Johann Cruyff. He was Johannes, whatever. It's, it's, they love to give them beautiful, flowing <laughs> medieval names and then shorten them. But but yeah. So he's Matt, really. But he was Matt, so he was shortened to Matt. And then I was Matthew, and Matt came later. But to differentiate, shouting, Matt, food's ready, or mum in the kitchen, she, they call me Max rather than Matt. Why? Just, just not because of the Beatles. Oh hell, yeah, that's why. Because uh, going back to uh, going back to me constantly banging my head. Your first nickname <laughs> is to do with Maxwell Silverhammer, yeah. and the weirdest song the Beatles ever wrote about being banged on the head. Yeah. Here we are after Rome. It's not right. It, it's it's crazy, isn't Tell it? Tell a story, Matt. It's cra- Max. Yeah. So yeah. whatever you're called. So so Max Maxwell. Um, yeah, that, it was the time. My dad was a big Beatles fan, and and I. Used to run across cattle grids, bit my head open, stand behind a swing, split my head open, and I was just prone to banging my head. And they, that nickname, I, f- I forgot about it. Yeah, that nickname came from Bang Bang Maxwell Silverhammer, came down <laughs> upon his head. And uh, <laughs> where the Beatles sing this beautiful little ditty about a serial killer who knocks on people's door and smashes them over the head nice of my mum and dad to name him (laughs) but yeah that's where that's where and it was shortened to Max well it was occasionally unless I was in trouble it was Maxwell or it was Matthew (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then I think one of the first times my dad thought he's got something here uh, in terms of football talent I played I think I was eight years old and I played in a under 10s or an under 12s game um, in Scotby where I lived and my mum because I was younger and I was against big bruises used to keep on shouting come on Max come on Maxie come on Maxie and, and at the end of the game I'd played well apparently and they, they said who's, who's, the, who's your choice for man of match to the other opposing manager and they said oh Maxine so and she said it's actually Max Max Maxie uh, it's, it's not a girl <laughs> But uh, that was a, that was where Max came from, and uh, and Max nearly Max nearly drowned. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. <laughs> oh, he was <laughs> he was accident prone. We went for a walk one autumnal day down to the River Eden near to the near to the house, and I was a, I was maybe four years old. Can I paddle? Can we paddle? No, don't be stupid. The rapids were roaring. Don't be silly. You can't paddle. Don't go anywhere near the water. I was here with my uncle. Uh, we'd just gone for a walk and we'd carried on then next thing my brother shouts Max is in the water and they turned around and I was I'd, my welly had filled up with, with water and I'd, it sucked me into the, into the rapids and I was off my uncle had my younger brother Joe on his back in a backpack threw him off into some nettles <laughs> waded into the waded oh, into the, to the river Eden and he said, my head popped down and he reached and grabbed me out by my hair. He said if, if he hadn't have reached down and been able to grab me, I would have been dead. Gone. 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 My, my worst recollection of that, though... Do you remember that? I, no, I don't remember, the, I don't remember the, the, the incident. I only remember 
me being told that I had to go and apologise to my uncle and say thank you for, for saving me. And I, I was too, I was like scared to do that. Just as a sort of ornithological guide, let's say it was a Sunday night and one of us is David Attenborough. Could we inform the, the listeners about whether puffins peck? Are they dangerous? Didn't you go... I went um, to, yeah. <laughs> up I a got, cliff. I, I got bitten. It's time, it's time to come, <laughs> come clean. I got bitten. I went, went over to... Um, when I was at Crystal Palace, I uh, became very close friends with Herman Harrison. The quiet, unassuming... Uh, the mad Icelandic. Almost characterless the ma- bloke. <laughs> the mad Icelandic. He invited me over to his place in, in Iceland. Um, so we land in Iceland. And suddenly I'm attacked from behind with a... a I think a, a hood was put over my head and I was bundled into a boot of a car. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? I think you might have well, been, yeah. Welcome to Iceland. <laughs> so you actually, at this point, you don't know what's happening, you've been kidnapped. I have got a clue, I've been kidnapped. And then I, I come and then I, I'm upstairs in this warehouse and I'm strapped to a chair, or they strap me to a chair, these guys with balaclavas on. And then all I hear is this hysterical laughing and, and I obviously knew it was... Herman, because his Icelandic voice is quite distinctive, and had you there, didn't I? He said, and I said, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so that said, I spent a few a few days there. Um, and he said, oh, I'm going to take you over to um, Westman Islands, which is my island just off off the main island. So he took us over in this motorised dinghy. Next thing, there's this big killer whale comes past us, and he's thinking. Oh, that was close. <laughs> I'm thinking, we're invincible, aren't we? Yeah, the fact you know, that one is coming out again. <laughs> so we end up going to going over across to, he says, they're a delicacy, these puffins. You can catch puffin over here. So I'm going, all right, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to lie on the side of this cliff and you've got this net and you and you. It's, there's an art to it. You'll get it. In the oh, yeah. Next thing is, I get close to one and I get the net over it it only pecks me, puts, pecks my fingers, starts bleeding. I says, oh, these are nice birds, aren't they? He says, oh, you don't get too close. I said, thank you. You could have told me that before, <laughs> beforehand. But uh, it was a, an eventful trip, to say the least. We're drawing to a close because I want people to understand what you communicate and what I think is a really captivating, really page-turning autobiography. I don't know where you want to go, but I think people, because some younger listeners... Well, I've had the privilege that Neil and I had of seeing that you were an extremely good footballer, but you're also somebody who lived inside this odd, lovable, eccentric world of football. So, choose. The things that you can come across in football is, is crazy. Um, Fergie, what might, yeah, what could have been if I'd have chose to, to go to Manchester United rather than, rather than Crystal Palace? It is hindsight again, it is hypothetical. Could it? He handled it quite well, didn't he? Oh, well, I didn't. I was petrified. I was in Michael Knighton's office, and my dad told me that I'd need, I'd, if I'd chosen Crystal Palace, I'd need to call up Sir Alex and uh, tell him that you you were going to sign for Crystal I, Palace. I love that. I think now that's good. Knowing the hairdryer treatment and that was <laughs> well documented. And, yeah, I've had um, that. I'm in the sat in Carlisle United's boardroom at um, 18, 19 years old. Hi, Sir Alex. Uh, I've chose Crystal Palace uh, over you. Really? Uh, yeah. 
it's just because I want to want to play first team football and continue playing first team football like I have been at Carlisle United. And he says, "Why would I be signing you if you if I didn't want you to play for my first team?" And he and I says, "Well, I've made it." He says, "Okay, son. Well, I wish you all the best, and hopefully our paths will, will cross again. Good luck to you." And that was classy, classy, yeah, brilliant, good guy. The Juve thing, we weren't kidding around. Juve wanted you under Marcello Lupi yeah. when they what played. Final and lost against Real Madrid. Uh, final and lost against Dortmund. Um, I will have wanted the number ten shirt off uh, off Zidane, of course. Still, uh, you see, you or, say that lightly, but he's still troubled about that. He still <laughs> he thinks nervous. about that sliding door moment when <laughs> he was nervous. If MJ had come and said, "I did the ball, take, the ten taken away from him." Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, bizarre incidents. Um, bizarre that. Blackburn got you instead of Juve because Blackburn would pay up and Juve wanted a structured deal. Yeah, it was, was advising you. Okay. Well, it was, it, was, well, it was under the Goldberg situation. There's another, there's another interesting one. The Goldberg came in and bought the club off Ron Nodes, who didn't want to sell it at the time, but he was offering astronomical money for just the players um, and renting the training ground off Ron Nodes. It was a business deal that Ron couldn't say no to. And, Mark Goldberg was the most generous man, and at the time, um, Tony Woodcock was my agent. Ex-Arsenal, yeah, ex-Cologne. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd flown in, he, he was based in Germany, and he'd flown in. Uh, Mark Goldberg wants to give you a new contract, yeah. so we'll, we'll go in with X, we'll, we'll try and get this. So he went in, um, I said, well, if, if, we, if, if we can get a couple of grand less than that, that'll be fine. Um, but we'll start here and we'll come down to this and, and see, what, see where we go. An hour or two later he comes, he says, oh, you'll never believe this. I went in, we went into the meeting and, and, and we said, we want this much money. And Goldberg said, yeah, what else? It took them back a little bit. They said, oh, he wants this bonus and he wants, yeah, anything else? Uh, well, he wants this as well. And, uh, and will he sign for six years? Yeah, he's made for life now. <laughs> so, so I was like, wow, that, that's incredible. And one, one Christmas as well, this is how the, the generosity of the man, one Christmas he said, uh, some of the players said, oh, Goldberg really likes you. Can you ask him? Because he, he had a limousine business. Can you ask him uh, if we can borrow one of his limousines for the Christmas party? We're going into London. You think he'll be all right? He said, yeah, he'll be, he'll be fine. So I rang him up. He says, is it possible to, to have one of your... Uh, Limousines for the lads to have a Christmas party. Yeah, where are you going? Oh, Cafe de Paris, I think we're going. Yeah, no problem. Wait there. He rings me back. Uh, do you want two? I says, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll get, I'll get two stretch limos. And he rings me back another ten minutes later. And he goes, how many bottles of champagne do you want in each of the vehicles? <laughs> oh, you don't have to. But then he put in two or three bottles of champagne in each of the vehicles. Just generous man. He met us in Cafe de Paris. And the drinks were on him as well. Um, subsequently, the funds dried up, and I had to uh, had to be sold off as an asset to the Which club. Still a pretty far cry from weeding the stand at Carlisle. Not that long before. No, no, yeah, just a, a year and a half, eighteen months. Football's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a roller coaster, like I said. I want to t- I want to top off on two subjects now. You, you, if only Wembley hadn't been under reconstruction, but in Cardiff, you won a beautiful final. Uh, one where I was very heavily rooting for Blackburn Rovers, uh, given my uh, dislike for the manager of Spurs that day. <laughs> but you, you scored, you made, you did exactly what I cut. Talk about dreams. What lives with you from that day in Cardiff when Blackburn played Tottenham in the League Cup final? You mentioned about 
people being nervous or petrified and mm-hmm. Terry Butcher and doing meditation and what have you. But I, I felt the bigger the game, the more comfortable I was because you were achieving more. So it worked in, in, in a bizarre weird way for me that I was it's the final closed roof it's going to be capacity we're the underdogs we've got nothing to do we're playing Tottenham and you know who are who are heavily favourites to win this we're going to go out and and give it give it everything and got the early the early goal Um, I I, I scored the first goal they equalised and then managed to set Coley up for the for the winner and winning a major trophy or the football league trophy was uh, well yeah I'm getting better and better, and it's my it, my ego, my invincibility is growing. And shortly after that, it was the England and and, and growing still. And from Carlisle to Palace to Blackburn, then to the Cup final, then to England, it, it was a gradual or not quite quick uh, rise to getting bigger. And no matter his gruff warning, that should have been a day for tears from your dad. It should have been. Well, um, he said he was close, but he's still. He's, he's, well, I, I couldn't see whether he's lying to me. Or not, so. yeah. I think you've nailed it there. Yeah, yeah. You've nailed it there. Now, I mean, obviously, the best goal of the three is yours. That goes without saying. But Andy Cole's finish was quite nifty. It was nice, but I, I had a goal and assist. I was in there. He just had a goal. Ooh. <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> That's what I want to finish on. Like you, you played with some super players, but you, you. Dwight York came at a point when you were fighting the fight that we've described. Andy Cole, not so. Describe playing with Andy Cole. Describe. Do, do, do you think it's possible that people underestimate a little bit about how good a striker he was, how good a finisher he was? Did you enjoy working with him? I think that my most successful season was when Coley came. We had a, a, a player called Chicho Grabby who hadn't, hadn't quite worked, did hadn't it? settled. I felt as soon as Coley came in, it clicked and it worked. And I thought, I'm playing with a good quality striker. And it, it was only for one season because I got, obviously, I got the accident after that. But what might have been if I'd have not had the accident, I could have struck up a really good striking relationship with him. And I was robbed of that as well. So, but uh, frustrating. But like I say, he, he, was, he was a quality player. Well, we find ourselves here uh, somewhere that is beautiful. As you say, happily married, dad of three kids. You achieve brilliant things that either of us would... We'd risk a puffing <laughs> bite <laughs> in order to get. It's really thrilling that, um, one, you've managed to achieve what you've managed to achieve because that, a personal battle is probably the hardest battle any of us will ever face. And it's exciting to think that um, football's going to benefit from you because you left the idea that management, coaching, call it what you will, and they're two different skills, is something that still attracts you. So I hope that that's going to be the next time, next time we see you triumphing in, in the sport that you love. We are going to, at some stage, see you coaching and managing, I hope. In, in some capacity, that's the idea. Hopefully before too long. Well, in that case, meantime, until that does happen... I'd urge people to go and seek your autobiography, not um, as a quid pro quo because you've talked to us, but because it's it's really enjoyable, intriguing, and the pages fly by. It's not always the easiest read, but it's true. And to my way of thinking, it's a good life. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you very much.
I do hope you enjoyed that big interview, which was first released as an exclusive to our socios, our members who support us. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day they're available, it's time for you to join us. To become a socio, and for only £2.99 per month, you'll get all our content entirely ad-free and ahead of its release on the main feed. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast and we'll blow virtual kisses towards you. Thank you.